Hey listeners, for the last four years or so, I have been searching for the ideal sponsor for this show. I wanted somebody that fit with your needs, their needs, and mine. Well, thankfully, they found me. Pharmacy Wipes is my brand new sponsor. Pharmacy Wipes helps you care for yourself and those you love. Life is a journey, and Pharmacy Wipes provides products that support you at each twist and turn. Their products are both safe and effective while being efficient and practical for those who use them. For over 15 years, Pharmacy Wipes has been dedicated to providing you with high-quality, first-aid, personal care, and home health care products that really work. The best part is there is no discount codes or special URLs. You can get all of their products at your local drugstore, grocery store, or Amazon. Check them out. Their website is in the show notes. And by supporting them and yourself, you're also supporting the show. Welcome to Fading Memories, a podcast with advice, wisdom, and hope from caregivers who have lived the experience and survived to tell the tale. Think of us as your caregiver best friend. Now you can join important Alzheimer's disease research from home in minutes with Picnic Health. Go to picnichealth.com slash memories to sign up and get $25. What is Picnic Health? Well, Picnic Health collects and digitizes all of your medical records into one online account. Then you can consent to share anonymized data from your records with medical researchers. By examining this real-world data from medical records, researchers can find answers that can't be found in clinical trials. There is important information in each person's unique healthcare journey, so share your story. If you care for someone with Alzheimer's, you can sign up on their behalf and manage their medical records in a Picnic Health account. Learn more at picnichealth.com memories and get $25 when you sign up Find the link in our show notes and on our website. Welcome to Fading Memories. We are 222 episodes in, and this is the final episode in season four. If you haven't heard most of my content, then this is probably going to be a great place to start. Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I am the entire team behind this podcast. I started it because I couldn't find the help I needed when I became responsible for caring for my mom. So I'm going to give you a little background first, our story kind of in a nutshell. That way, if you haven't heard all the other previous 221 episodes, you'll know where I'm coming from. So what does living with Alzheimer's look like when somebody that you love has had it for 20 years? As most of you probably know, at first it's not that bad. You make some adjustments and you keep moving forward. We had a family business together, a one-hour photo lab and portrait studio. (laughs) Remember those days? Back in 1995, mom started taking orders with no due dates and no directions. It was easy to dismiss. Phone may have rung. Someone else came in. There were lots of ways to get distracted. And she seemed to do this more on Tuesdays, which was extra frustrating because the clients would come in on Wednesdays for their stuff, which was mom's day off. Looking back, it's easy to see that those were probably the first moments of an early warning sign of her disease. At the same time or thereabouts, mom and her siblings were dealing with their their mom, who had a brain aneurysm that had leaked for three months. Anywhere blood touches the brain, it damages it permanently. 
And as my grandmother progressed with vascular dementia, mom was getting worse too. It was just easy to write off as stress. I mean, come on, we all know what caregiving is like. And my dad wasn't super supportive and, you know, family's complicated. It was stressful. It wasn't until the day that mom didn't recognize her own handwriting on an order that I knew that something was really wrong. This was in the early aughts and it was not a fun day at work. She looked at me and she said, I don't want to end up like my mother and stomped off in a huff. And I was left with like, what am I supposed to do with that? Because murder is illegal. That was the only way I felt she wasn't going to end up like her mom. What I didn't realize at the time was the amount of stress that this was causing all of us. I mean, personally, I had to supervise conversations between mom and clients to avoid having to make embarrassing phone calls to determine what we were supposed to do for them. I also worked really hard not to make it obvious to moms that that's what I was doing. I think the employees also did similar things. They never complained or said anything. And to this day, I wonder if they knew something was wrong. So when mom and dad retired from the business in 2005, I was relieved, but I was also really concerned because I knew mom needed a purpose, but I was exhausted having to handle my responsibilities and keep an eye on what she was doing. It got to the point where she'd wait till the quiet end of the day to start working on orders. She lived one mile away and I lived 20, had a school-aged daughter to feed and other responsibilities at home. So I didn't really appreciate her dragging out the work day. I was always there first and she and I were always the last ones to leave. In 2007, my immediate family bought a new home with an attached photography studio, which was wonderful. I had been working out of our previous home for the past four years. Yes, I overlapped both businesses for a time, but that wasn't an ideal setup. This new house was nearly perfect. And I loved creating portraits for my family. And my dad was really good about coming every year and doing an annual Christmas portrait, just like most people's dads, right? So back in 2010, mom got lost coming to my house. Thankfully, she had her cell phone, but I had to drive to find her and lead her back to my house. Hubby and I gave her my old GPS and programmed it to find our house. The last time she attempted to drive over to my place, uh, she didn't use it. <laughs> she got lost. She insisted that she had the thing turned on, but she got lost anyway. Having to find her in the next town over, get her to my house, calm down, all while doing my best not to freak out, and come unglued, was a superhuman feat. Thinking back on that day, I can't even remember how she got home. I don't know if my dad picked her up, if we drove her home, or stupidly we let her drive home even my husband can't remember i have to assume that time and trauma have erased that part of the day so in 2014 i could see that my dad needed more breaks from caregiving he had his own chronic illnesses and next to no patients he would answer her questions reasonably the first time she asked them but the second time he'd snap an answer at her as if she were stupid this caused her to get angry and stomp off in a huff and sometimes she'd escalate the fight. He seemed to have no idea that he made everything worse. And I really feared that she'd leave the house angry and she didn't have a car anymore. So she wouldn't have gone far, but I still was worried that she would get lost in her neighborhood. 
Thankfully, we never had to deal with her getting lost. I did everything I could to convince my dad to just relax. But <laughs> you know how that goes when you tell people things like that. So what I did instead was all the research on an adult day program, which I've recently heard referred to as activity club, which I like a lot more. So maybe we could switch up the language on that. Anyway, I found the one closest to their home, had a lengthy conversation with the director, and all we had to do was check it out and get mom signed up. My dad refused. <laughs> I still don't know why. I will tell you that I know for certain that it was the wrong choice on his part. And I'll get back to that in a second. In 2016, dad kept talking about preparing for the end. <laughs> it's just a really lovely lunch conversation, right? I didn't understand that he knew the end was close. I was actually recovering from a serious bicycle accident I had had just before Memorial Day where I broke my collarbone. I had to have surgery to repair it and I was home and I could have used, really used some mom love. Instead, I had a day where I had to entertain her the entire day. All the way until late evening, like before bedtime. I finally had to insist that someone else entertain mom because I was in pain and losing my mind. I truly wish I had known then what I know now. More about caregiving, engagement, you know, all the things that I've learned in four years of podcasting, plus the extra ones of caring for my mom. My dad died on March 2nd, 2017. He assumed mom would love, excuse me, <laughs> he assumed mom would move in with me, but I knew that wouldn't work. Two self-employed people cannot look after a woman with advanced Alzheimer's with no help. Knowing I'd have to justify spending any of mom's money to my sister if I wanted to hire help just didn't sit right with me. I decided that a memory care residence was the best option for all of us. My sister had school-aged children, and thankfully she agreed, which is probably the one time in our lives we agreed on the same thing. Now here's where I know that the adult day program slash activity club would have been excellent for both my parents. My mom had friends in memory care. And for those of you who have listened to most of my 220 episodes, you'll know that she was one of three Dianes. They were all buddies for quite a while until Diane S also known as other Diane started getting really paranoid. Before that happened though, we had some really good times together. I painted their nails, took them to the regional park, sometimes out for a snack. It wasn't more work to have two of them together because they entertained each other and I could observe or join whichever seemed appropriate. So after Diane S was getting paranoid, mom and Diane R hung out together for probably almost a year. And then Diane R progressed further into her disease and forgot just about everyone. She used to tell me I looked familiar, but eventually she didn't even seem to notice me. Mom had already started avoiding her by then. So having the friends in memory care is how I know for certain that the adult day program activity club would have been great for her. I won't lie and say I understood my dad's refusal because I don't. I'd known him for 50 years and I'm pretty sure he didn't want to be bothered with getting her there. Maybe it was the money, but honestly, this is an affordable option when you take into the consideration all of the benefits you'll gain. So after mom was settled in her new home, I went looking for advice, support, anything I thought might help me spend better quality time with her 
and not want to slam my head into the wall. Now, the first six weeks of memory care with mom were very difficult. There is a transition period that they all go through and it's generally not fun. For me, my mom acted like she had been abandoned. I mean, think of somebody being freed from jail after years of neglect and, and isolation. And that's how my mom was until one day I showed up and she spied me and said, oh, oh, can you come with me? I have to help my friend. And when she said the word friend, even to this day, I almost tear up because I knew we had finally arrived. And the word friend at that moment in time was such beauty to my ears. You would have thought somebody had said free bag of diamonds or you won the jumbo lotto because that's how good it felt. But once you get past that transition, memory care residences can be a complete blessing for anyone because my mom was well cared for. And like I said, she had friends. So after she was settled and I was looking for, you know, advice, wisdom, support, all the things that was when my challenges became or began. You see, I'm an avid reader, but I could only read a chapter or two of the recommended caregiver books before I was depressed or mentally drained. Being an avid podcast listener, I looked for podcasts for caregivers. I mean, there's podcasts for everything, even back in 2017. But for Alzheimer's caregivers, maybe this wouldn't be a surprise to you now, but there was one, one podcast for Alzheimer's caregivers. And for better or worse, it was not my cup of tea. You know, tea, which my glass is the same color as my green screen, so it blends in. It's pretty funny if you're watching the video. I had wanted to try podcasting for years, mostly as a way to boost one or both of our businesses, but I started fading memories instead. Like many creative people, I made the thing that I needed and wanted in this world. So being a Gen Xer, I feel like I'm kind of in a unique position to observe how our conversations about Alzheimer's and dementia and actually other really horrific diseases are taking place. I kind of laugh when I see baby boomers post on the internet that they don't understand why people are putting their loved ones all over the internet and sharing every gory quote detail online. And then I look and I see the millennials who are getting support and wisdom and community by doing the exact same thing the baby boomers hate. I did say I was a Gen Xer, right? Do not confuse me with a boomer, please. Anyway, my mom had Alzheimer's for 20 years and it has changed a lot. The best thing is we talk about it a lot more. Before, when my mom first started having signs, I didn't know anybody that had had Alzheimer's. I didn't know anything about early onset Alzheimer's. All I knew was my grandmother had vascular dementia and my great grandmother had had quote senile dementia, which is what they called it way back then. My great grandmother died before I was born. So we're making a lot of progress, but we do have a quite a ways to go, I think. But first I've kind of glossed over the beginning stages of mom and memory care and where I'm at now. So for regular listeners, you all know that my mom passed away on March 31st, 2020. It was a bit of a shock. 
but it was also a blessing. Excuse me. Up until my mom fell on March 8th and broke her leg, my mom walked, spoke in English sentences with English words that actually she didn't mumble or any of the things that are common with people with Alzheimer's. Her sentences had no context, so it was very difficult to understand what she was trying to communicate, but she still was very verbal and completely mobile. It was very difficult to see that she was really progressing into the very end stages because she was mobile and verbal. She was becoming much quieter and I kind of suspected we probably had maybe two or three years left. Now you have to keep in mind that my mom turned 77 in January of 2020. Neither one of my parents made it to 78, which is definitely not, (laughs) it's not ideal for the longevity that most of my family has experienced. So mom and I bumbled along pretty well during from 2017 to 2020. I would take her to the park and we'd watch children or she'd watch children and I would answer emails on my phone or just sit back and enjoy the fresh air and the sunshine and just breathe and just be with her and watch her watch children. She's a mom of two. She has three grandchildren or did. And that's what brought her joy. Getting her to the park, into and out of the car and over to a bench sometimes was more stress than I thought it was worth. But seeing how much she enjoyed watching the children made it all worthwhile. So when she broke her leg and she was not really a candidate for the surgery because she refused to do the physical therapy. And I knew that the anesthesia was probably counterintuitive for her at where she was at with her Alzheimer's. I just assumed that she was going to be wheelchair bound. And I was actually looking forward to being able to get her from point A to point B quickly, easily, and not have to worry about her walking behind me. Now I have, I think it's an upcoming episode where I'm talking to my guest and she said, your mom may have walked behind you because as the oldest of four siblings, she was always in charge of her siblings and she was behind them to keep an eye on them. And that's one of the things I really, really wish I had known when mom was alive because it was so frustrating. I could not get her to walk next to me or even close to me. And I feared that I looked like a complete jerk, not letting this poor old woman catch up to me or anything. And I really feared that she would fall and do a face plant on the sidewalk. And that would have been really bad too. Had I known that it was possible, even likely, that she was observing the children, so to speak, me being the children slash best friend slash I don't know what the heck she thought I was, who she thought I was. I I could have play acted as in that, like in that role, like I could have turned around and said, Oh, did you see the pretty bird or whatever? I mean, I could have come up with something had I known that. And that's why having these conversations, talking about your loved one, talking about your frustrations, really can help you solve a situation. Like the last time my mom and I walked together, I browbeat slash convinced her to walk elbow in elbow at which she dealt dealt with pretty well. But at the end, she got really irritated with me, told me to drop dead, jerked her arm up, 
away from mine and stomped off in a huff. Yes, stomping off in a huff is kind of our thing. <laughs> Just ask my husband. Unfortunately, pushing mom around in a wheelchair and doing all the things I thought we were going to do, you know, the spring and the summer of 2020, they weren't meant to be. My mom fell on March 8th. She went back to the care home on March 12th. I saw her on the 12th, the 14th, and the 16th. On the 12th, I walked in the memory care residence doors as normal. On the 14th, I had to go through the main assisted living entrance and sign in. On the 16th, I had to go into the main doors of the assisted living, have my temperature checked, sign in, answer a bunch of health questions, and then walk all the way over to the memory care, which was on the absolute far opposite corner from where I was at. On the 16th of March, 2020, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, declared all of the seven counties in the San Francisco Bay Area closed and we were required to stay home and self-isolate. So I was not able to go and visit my mom. Now, thankfully, I had provided the care home with um, nightgowns and slippers and other bed clothing for her per the request of the care worker. Thankfully, she told me that, you know, mom was going to need dresses and other things going forward, which I didn't buy because I was overwhelmed with just getting what she needed for the immediate future. On March 29th, 2020, the caregiver who I was very close to, she was a very fun young lady, uh, vibrant, just full of ideas and life. And she made my mom's life very happy. She called and said that mom was not doing well. And could I come by they thought she would benefit from a visit from me and I was ecstatic because if you go back to episodes from that period of time there are comments about it's been x number of days since I've seen my mom I'm about to storm the gates I will claw through the window if that's what's required but I was terrified that my mom who thought I was her best friend would forget me and her combativeness with the care staff would then escalate and it would also translate to me. And I just, I knew none of us needed that. Not mom, not me, not the care staff. So thankfully I went on March 30th. I visited my mom. As many of you know, mom had dogs all her life. I've had dogs all my life. I've been through the entire circle of life with many dogs, unfortunately. <laughs> And when I saw my mom, I knew we would not be rolling around in a wheelchair. We would not be going to visit children in the park or at the swimming pool or any of the things that we had done before. Now, it's difficult. And I wasn't sure if I needed to talk to her as me, her daughter, or me, the best friend. But I held her hand and I said, you know, mom, you've done a really good job. We're all going to be okay. It's okay to go go find dad, go find your parents, go find all those dogs we've always talked about. And I just kept telling her over and over again, she did a good job and we'd all be okay. Well, apparently that's what she needed to hear. I know my sister managed to get there the same day in the afternoon. I went pretty early in the morning. Tuesday, March 31st, I, you know, <laughs> woke up, <laughs> didn't go to the gym because we couldn't. And I talked to the hospice nurse. They didn't think she was doing well. They thought she was transitioning. 
I absorbed that information. I processed it and kind of put it in the back of my head. And I recorded a podcast episode, came back downstairs. I was about to do lunch when the care home called and said, come now. My husband called our daughter. We jumped in the car. She jumped in the car. As we were in the car, we called mom's younger brother and her sister. They were the, the older brother lives three hours away. Long story short, we all got to the care home. There were 10 of us outside of mom's room. None of us made it before she passed. And I really don't know how I feel about that. I was not there when my dad died and I was not there when my mom died. Sometimes I regret that more times than not. I don't. I'm not one of those people that felt the need to be there and I wouldn't have been allowed to anyway. What I do count as a blessing is that we all got to be there. I got to see her the day before and hold her hand, tell her I loved her and that she did a good job and all that other stuff. Still hard to talk about. And today is April 2nd, 2022. So it's been two years and two days. And just thinking about that time is still difficult. And that's just normal. The hardest thing about losing my mom at the very beginning of the pandemic was that we were not able to do anything. We were not have, able to have a celebration of life and family situations have actually not improved. And so mom is still with me despite our move and everything else. But the really hard part was we had to go home and just sit. When my dad died, I got flowers and plants and food and cards. It, it was, it was the lovely showing of support from our friends in our community. When my mom died, one family brought us huh, the best food, um, slow cooked ribs and everything, including drinks and stuff. I got flowers from our rotary club and one or two cards. That was it. It's like the whole world, it was, we were doing nothing. And that included dealing with grief. I dealt with it by talking to more caregivers and creating more podcasts and just moving forward because there wasn't really anything else to do. It just, we all know what the pandemic was like. It seemed like there wasn't anything that could be done and we just kind of moved forward like, okay, that's done onward. I don't really understand how other people dealt with it, but uh, losing somebody during the pandemic actually much harder. So two years later, I am still producing this podcast. I keep learning new and exciting things, new ways to be a better caregiver information that I never thought anything about thing. I, you know, like subjects I never even considered. And so I'm going to kind of talk about what I've learned in the past 20 ish years. And then I'm going to give you a little behind the scenes. So I, I hope you guys are enjoying this. I know a lot of what I've just gone through might be a little bit repetitive for some people, but maybe putting it all together will be helpful. So what I have learned, you definitely, definitely need a community. You need a village to help support you in your caregiving for your loved one. If you have not heard 
any of the episodes I've done on other people's podcasts, which trust me, I love to do. They always ask the question, what do I wish caregivers knew as early on as possible? And if you go back to the care, care committee or a family blueprint for caring, one of them is two episodes long, and then I shortened it into one hour, which trust me was tricky. I talked to a podcaster and his mom about how their family handled their journey with Alzheimer's. And basically the information and the way I've tweaked it for everybody goes like this. As soon as physically possible, do not wait. If you have gotten a diagnosis today, process that, grieve for the, the future that you're not going to get, and then basically put on your big person pants and move forward. And this is how I want you to move forward. First, make a list of all of the tasks it's required to run your household every day. For me, you know, feed the dogs, water plants, etc. Pretty much the same typical household maintenance type things that we all do every day. Then you make a list or add to that list of what needs to be done weekly. Mow the lawn, handle the yard work, take out the trash, whatever. Then I want you to make a list of everybody you know, whether they live close to you or not, and do your best to write down what, what item of care you think they would be able to help you with the best. For example, if you said, hey, Jen, could you please call Medicare and talk to them about dad's Medicare benefits? I would have to tell you, sadly, no. First off, I never managed to do that well with my own mother. <laughs> Definitely not going to do it with anybody else's. I do not deal with bureaucracy, hold music, redundant questions. It all irritates me so rapidly. It's, it blows my own mind. So it's like, however, if you need somebody to drive you somewhere, sit with your loved one, make you some meals, some healthy baked goods, I am your gal. If you would like to know where you should go and who you should talk to, I am also your gal. Is one of the reasons that I like to call this podcast a caregiver's best friend because I am always here 24-7, online, on demand. You can find an episode that is probably speaking to a situation that you are currently dealing with and probably between my guest and I, we can give you an answer. That is the whole purpose of this show. So you now have your list of responsibilities. You have your list of people and what you think they're best trait slash task is, you know, like my husband would be great with the banking and the insurance people. Now, whenever somebody says, oh my goodness, I, I have recently learned about your father's Alzheimer's or your mother's dementia or whatever. How can I help? You have an answer for them. Better, you also have an answer that doesn't make them feel overwhelmed or puts them in a position of doing something that they truly hate, like myself and calling insurance companies, or making them concerned that they're going to get sucked in and overwhelmed, and then they're going to have to break off with you, and that's going to be worse, and all of that. You have very specific needs, and people who probably can fill those needs very easily. And when you start early, 
It's very simple to bring people along in the journey. If you wait until the mid or the later stages of this disease and people have not been educated, they haven't been around you as much, it's overwhelming and it's a little traumatizing to be honest. Don't do that to yourself or your loved one or your friends or family. Bring them in early. The other thing, I just recently had a conversation on another podcast where we talked about not shielding children from this disease because children can actually be really super great caregivers. As our loved ones progress in their disease and decline and as children grow and age and have more abilities, their abilities kind of mesh together and children sort of have like a, they have like a special way of communicating and connecting with somebody with a cognitive impairment. And if we give them the safe space to help with our loved one, we are essentially training our future caregivers. And that's what the host of the show I was on, it's called the Heart of Hospice podcast. That's what she said. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a totally true. So, you know, do everybody a favor. You're doing yourself like two favors in one. Like how, how smart is that? You can help yourself in the immediate now with caregiving, give yourself a little break, let the children color or dance and be silly and entertain your loved one, whatever fits everybody's desires while you take a bath, go outside and scream, get some coffee, tea, whatever, you know, whatever 15, 20 minutes you need. That's, that's the immediate benefit, but the future benefit could seriously be that you have trained these children to understand the disease and understand how to relate to older people and older people who might need extra special help. Hello. Thank you. I think that's super important. The other thing I strongly, strongly suggest is that you get into a support group. Thankfully, for better or worse, the pandemic forced all the Alzheimer's Association's support groups online. Now, the support group that I actually attended in person after a while online lost a lot of its people. Part of the problem was many of us lost our loved ones and for a while it became a support group for a particular person who'd lost their spouse and not necessarily support for those who were still caring. It's the evolution of things. Side note, the Alzheimer's Association does now have an Alzheimer's grief support group that you can attend for the first two years after your loved one has passed. Of course, they decided to do that like immediately as I hit two years, but it's okay. I actually am now a support group facilitator and it is an online group. It has always been an online group. So it does not matter if I am in their area or where I live, which is about two and a half, three hours away or on the moon, which would be a real internet challenge, thankfully, but <laughs> I digress. Definitely get into a support group. My very first meeting, I felt supported. My second meeting, I felt like I had supported somebody else and just by doing the, just that one little thing made me feel so much better and so much more confident that I could do this for my mom. That's actually the month that I started thinking seriously about create, creating my own podcast. And that's when I started researching how to do it. December of 2017. 
So 33 minutes into this and all I've talked about is the past, but now I'm going to talk about where we're going. So as I said at the beginning of this episode, this is number 222. There are a few quote unquote hidden episodes that have never been published. I like to talk to people who I find interesting on topics I find interesting. I am generally not having to search for guests. I have the fantastic problem of having to slow the roll sometimes because I talk to three people and say, oh, wow, I love the title of your book or the topic of your talk or whatever it is that caught my attention, made me sit up and take notice. And they recommend some other people. And the next thing I know, I've got three months worth of episodes already recorded and somebody else wants to join. in. it's just, we're talking about it more. That's fantastic. And people are really super willing to talk to me, which makes me super happy because I like to have conversations. So that is how a podcast episode generally is born. I'm online, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. And if somebody is talking about a topic that I think needs amplification, or they have a book with a, maybe a, what's the right term, an angle that I find interesting. I mean, You would think that after over 222 recordings that I would have run out of topics, but everybody has their own take, their own story, their own spin on how they managed caregiving. I don't know if there'll ever be an end. I do hope that someday we will find a cure and a prevention for this disease and I can seriously officially retire. But until then, I think you're probably stuck with me. So if you've ever had a topic where you think, geez, I wish she would talk about that one more, or, you know, I like my spin on that, that particular segment of the disease, you know, or I think she should talk to me. Hey, reach out. All you got to do is be interesting. (laughs) I am really super not too particular. I don't want people who are just trying to sell something. Occasionally a few of them sneak in. And I do apologize for that. Sometimes it's really hard to be like, oh yeah, we've recorded this. And yeah, no, you're going into the probably never getting published file, (laughs) which I do have one. Um, But if you have a topic that we haven't talked about recently or enough, or you want to be on the show, email me, fadingmemoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can DM me on social medias, like I said, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Twitter and Instagram are the ones that I'm on regularly. Um, I'm not a super huge Facebook user because I'm not a boomer. So (laughs) thankfully, uh, you might want to just email me if Facebook is your preferred platform. Hit me up because there are many people that I've wanted to talk to. And sometimes I've reached out. Sometimes it works. There's one particular person I had a topic that I wanted to talk to her about, but I moved and then she was busy and it didn't happen. So I moved that idea down the list to, you know, about four months later and then her person passed away. So now that topic probably isn't going to get covered with her because I'm not sure that it's an appropriate topic to have now that her person is gone. So there's always room to have conversations that 
you are interested in that I may not be focused on. I hope that was a very long-winded way of saying, let me know what you want to hear. Reach out and tell me what you like and what you don't like. You know, the phones are always open. I'm an 80s kid. I can say that, right? So that is how podcast episode generally happens. People reach out to me. I reach out to them. If it's an interesting topic, that's that's all it takes. Will I? Do you have an angle that I think will help my listeners? Are you interesting? That's it. Not a very high barrier to entry. So what's involved? Generally, if you email me and say, hey, I want to be on the show, you might want to give me a little bit more like, I really want to talk about meal prep for people who have to eat soft foods. That is not something I had to do. It's not really something I'm familiar with. So that would be a topic. Now I've just given you an idea and myself. And unless I think that it is a horrible idea or we've just done it, or I'm super overwhelmed, the response would probably be, fantastic, love this idea. Could you please email me at xfadingmemoriespodcast at gmail.com and let's take this there so I can keep track of this conversation. Then you would get a link to schedule a Zoom planning chat, which is generally where we shake out all of the yakety yakety yak. I have had planning chats that have lasted like two hours and the podcast recording is like 45 minutes because <laughs> a lot of people that want to be on podcasts really like to talk. Are you surprised? Probably not. After we do our planning chat, you will get a Zoom link to record the episode. I use the Zoom video for my YouTube channel. So if you haven't signed up and subscribed over there, sometimes it's actually pretty interesting to listen slash kind of keep an eye on the video. Sometimes the guests demonstrate things while they also describe what they're doing for the audio only audience. I don't have the most interesting videos, but you know, someday I hope the channel will be something close to what the podcast subscribers are like. So, you know, just subscribe, listen to a couple episodes. I'm attempting now that we are coming out of lockdowns and pandemic restrictions and I've moved and all of the things in life that have happened in the last two years. I'm really hoping to have bonus material that is YouTube only, but I have a great kitchen if you were thinking it's 1990. So maybe once the kitchen's redone, I don't know. We've only been in this house just under four months, so I'm still trying to figure out the best places to film and photograph and all that kind of stuff. I did tell you I was a photographer, so these things are important to me. So that's kind of what an actual recording looks like, sounds like. If you've done a Zoom call, you can do a podcast recording. My one super benefit of the pandemic was the fact that my older 80-year-old plus guests who were tech-challenged, or as one lady referred to herself as a tech klutz, they stopped having issues with Zoom. Some of them are even better at Zoom than I am, which I didn't think was possible, but there's always a silver lining, even in a pandemic, even when we're caregiving for somebody with Alzheimer's. That's one of the things that I learned and I wish I'd known earlier on with my mom is that 
there can be lots of joy and laughter and some pretty funny things if you have enough knowledge and education on what to do. I personally think that those of us who are caring for a parent have it a little bit tougher because, you know, we have respect for our parents. We don't want to, you know, deceive them or mislead them. And that makes some of the caregiving things we need to do a little harder. Once you relinquish that feeling and realize that being in their reality, figuring out where their reality is, really benefits both of you. Like I loved the day that my mom told me her brothers were normal people now. (laughs) Sadly, it was also the day that I was pretty sure she forgot about her sister, but it did kind of give me a period of time to like think about. I still don't know if her brothers were normal, but whatever. (laughs) It made me laugh and it made mom laugh and that's all that mattered. I have just sent all of the first four episodes, that doesn't even sound like good grammar. I have sent the first four episodes of season five to the editor before I started creating this episode today. And there's going to be some, I hope, changes that you guys really like. I can't believe I've been doing this this long. To be honest, when I started the podcast, I didn't think about what it would be like after mom was gone because I seriously thought my mom would still be around She was healthy other than the Alzheimer's. As I said, she was fully mobile, still verbal. I really kind of thought we had a lot longer than two or three years, but realistically, I was kind of bracing myself for two or three years and then ended up being two or three months. So you never know with this disease what's going to happen. Sometimes they decline overnight dramatically and you're like, what do I do now? All of my processes Everything I knew how to do has gotten thrown out the window and stomped on by the deer that roam my yard now. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. My guests are here to help you. Most of them have been where we've been, where you are. And I really, really, really am working very hard to bring you an even better experience with this podcast. Now that I'm thinking my life is getting calm, probably just jinxed it. Anyway, reach out on social, on email, whatever. If you like something, let me know. If you think I need to kind of maybe tweak something, let me know. I can take criticism. Just be, just be polite about it. It's all cool. With that, thank you for being with me for one episode, 100 episodes, or all 222 episodes. You've made it this far. Thank you again for tuning in. You're doing a great job, no matter what you're doing, no matter how difficult it is. If you have your loved one's best interest at heart, you are winning the caregiving game. And I am here to support you whenever you need it. Thank you again for four wonderful years of podcasting. And here's to, I don't know how many more. Easily access all of your loved one's medical records and help support our show by going to picnichealth.com slash memories. That's picnic, P-I-C-N-I-C, health, H-E-L-T-H, dot com slash memories. We thank you for supporting the show. Do you worry about your own brain health? Are you concerned that cognitive decline is just inevitable in your future? We all know we need to eat right, sleep, 
exercise, minimize stress, all of that. Did you also know that there are 17 nutrients that our brains are generally lacking, even if we have the healthiest diet possible? Yeah, I didn't either. And I wasn't thrilled to learn that. But ever since I started taking NeuroReserves Relevate, I had a miraculous discovery. My sugar cravings plummeted. We all know that sugar is toxic for the brain. So this was totally worth maintaining taking NeuroReserves. And I want to give you the opportunity to give them a try as well. Use my special link that you can find at the bottom of the show notes or on our website for 15% off one bottle or a subscription of NeuroReserve. You're not going to get a better deal anywhere else. Trust me, your brain is worth a few extra dollars a month. <music> 